Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Great. Good morning and welcome to the Wisdom of the Soul class presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner and uh, I've lost track of what number this is, 35. Uh, We'll figure it out when we put this on the YouTube channel and of course we do podcast this as well and uh, just search for Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Subscribe on YouTube and uh, like and comment if you would. That helps us out. That attracts people. And also the podcast, which you can find on uh, all player apps and aggregators and uh, directories. Again, search Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Every once in a while, I I remember to announce that uh, I do private work. I probably should mention that every week, but (laughs) I don't. Uh, All you have to do is click the round red circle. That's redundant. The red circle. Of course, it's round if it's a circle. On michaelbenner.com or theagelesswisdom.com. And that'll put you into my online calendar and you can schedule a free intake session. No obligation whatsoever, just... We'll set up a Zoom call or a phone call, FaceTime, whatever you'd like. You can tell me what kind of help you're looking for, and uh, I'll tell you whether I think I can help you, and if so, how. We're talking, for the most part, about anxiety disorders in personal development, and then that can lead to the overtones of what we mean by spiritual development. And you can do is, uh, again, there's no obligation after the free session. You can do just one formal session after that or more. No contracts, nothing locks you in. And I call it the Goldilocks solution because it's much more than life coaching. And yet it's much less intrusive than psychotherapy. Will not take your life apart into little pieces and try to fix anything. It's more a matter of helping healthy, happy people kick in the afterburners and accelerate your growth and amplify your happiness and well-being. And we call that personal development strategies. And again, just go to michaelbenner.com to see a red circle. Click on that to go to the calendar, the scheduler. Or the podcast homepage, The Ageless Wisdom, the T-H-E is part of it, theagelesswisdom.com. And uh, love to, we do have openings, I'd love to add you to the schedule. Today we're going to talk about a classic experiment from quantum physics called the double slit experiment. And of course we'll also discuss uh, the implications and ramifications of this experiment. It's uh, 
not likely something that you've stumbled across in your life. So I'm going to go slow because this is really a mind-boggling experiment of quantum physics, and the implications are all-inclusive. I mean, your entire view of reality is challenged when we look at the double-slit experiment, which has been done scores of times, if not hundreds of times. This experiment has been repeated, and as our technology and our ability to do hard science and empirical science, to even observe single electrons and photons, um, the experiment gets repeated again and again, and it continues to baffle uh, scientists and philosophers and theologians and um, irritate the materialists. I'll tell you that. <laughs> the people who believe in objective reality and that that's the end of it, uh, life is what it appears to be and nothing more. People that have devoted their lives in many cases to physics and the laws of physics and the principles of this seemingly objective, solid world, they're most challenged by the whole concept that there's more going on. It brings up uh, the matrix. It brings up... Uh, the holographic universe that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And for you, it may bring up all kinds of questions. So that's what we're going to address today. The bottom line is that what appears to be solid reality is both energy and mass, both wave and particle at the same time, showing characteristics of both. And what causes it to be observed as a solid particle as opposed to a wave like light or sound or radio waves, television signals broadcast through the air. Uh, that's the amazing part. It's awareness or observation that affects the nature of reality. And that's indisputable. But again, the implications are awesome. So stand by for that. <laughs> we'll embark on that journey right after our opening meditation. So get comfortable in your chairs. Let's do this meditation. Sit upright. And three, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, back in the room. Feeling fine, rested, <laughs> feeling better than before. Every day in every way, better and better. You might say, well, that's a strange meditation. I never heard anybody do a meditation like that. No, meditation is simply turning your awareness away from sense and sensation and becoming aware of the internal landscape, your thoughts, your feelings, your physical health, and your behavior, the action that you take, your perception of the world around you, and perhaps most importantly, the awareness of the previous four, even awareness of itself. In Eastern philosophy, this is the fifth aggregate. We think, we have emotional feelings, we have a physical body, 
that takes action in the world, and then there is the world around us. That's the first four aggregates. And the last is awareness itself. So to be aware of my thinking is to understand the difference, for example, between a deliberate thought and some intrusive nonsense that bubbled up from your unconscious. Uh, to be aware of your emotions, again, is to replace your obsession on the people that made you feel emotionally this way or that, or the events or circumstances, and turn within. And to expand your awareness of your feelings is to recognize them as a response, and most likely a, a response that has not been very well considered or even noticed. <laughs> you ever hear an angry person insist they're not angry? Their face is all red and they're yelling and, and screaming and threatening you. I am not angry. And if you say that again, I'm going to pop you in the face. Call me angry. And they're obviously angry. Unaware. Just unaware of why we feel the way we do. And the, our speech and our behavior and our health and, and the world around us, all functions of awareness. And you can have advanced degrees and never take a class in self-awareness. Know nothing about it till now, anyway. Here you are. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulate yourself for wanting to be more aware of awareness itself. Now... Today, we're going to talk about the double slit experiment. I promised you we would do that. It's really, as I indicated before the meditation, multiple experiments, scores of experiments. As our technology has evolved and our ability to do science on the quantum level. And what do we mean by, by quantum, by the way? What is quantum physics? What does the word quantum mean? Essentially, teeny tiny little particles is what a quantum is, or quanta. It's, uh, I like Stephen Hawking's term, the ultimate grittiness of the universe. So a particle of sand would be huge. <laughs> a particle of sand would be like a mountain on the scale of electrons and protons and neutrons and Photons, which are particles or little energy packets of light. And uh, we can actually, with electron microscopes, see some of these particles now, which is unbelievable. And we have machines that can emit single photons, one photon at a time. They didn't have that until recently, or one electron, a gun that shoots one electron at a time. And how did that affect the double slit experiment? So it's it's been repeated countless times, and I just want to give it an overview today because of the implications around the whole idea of awareness and our course of study suggesting that awareness is fundamental and that, in fact, there's nothing more fundamental. So I put on the screen a... Uh, a document here that I put together. Actually, I wrote this initially. This is part of a chapter that I wrote uh, three or four years ago. Gosh, it's getting 
Time's flying. Maybe it was five years ago or more that I wrote this for my Fearless Intelligence book. But you know how writing goes. After you're done writing your book, you turn it over to an editor. And the two of you uh, begin to slice it and dice it and take out the extraneous stuff. And that's what happened to this passage. It never made it into the book. But I saved it because I like the graphics. And it's just a little over a single page. And I'm going to uh, read it to you here today and call your attention to these graphics. If you're listening to the podcast, you're not going to be able to see anything, but I'll describe it as best as I can. And then if you want to go to the replay on YouTube, you'll be able to see the video. So here's a copy. An English physician and physicist, Thomas Young, conceived of his now legendary double slit experiment in the early 1800s, like over 200 years ago, right? Assuming that the energy of light propagates like ripples in water, he directed light through two slits in a board. And as expected, Young observed a characteristic interference pattern. That's what this is called in this first graphic, an interference pattern, just as if he had dropped two pebbles into a pool of water. The rear screen reflected numerous parallel bars of light separated by dark, empty shadows wherever the peak crusts of the light wave were canceled out by the deepest troughs. So, imagine a pool of water, or even a, like a baking dish. Imagine a baking dish, a shallow baking dish filled with water, and it's perfectly calm. The surface of the water is as smooth as glass. And you drop a single pebble in, you will get waves you will see the energy of that pebble dropping into the water, radiating out from the point of impact as little waves, as ripples, concentric circles that move out, radiate out as the energy is dissipated throughout the water. Okay, that's easy to understand. Imagine dropping simultaneously two pebbles into that dish of water. Each will send out concentric circles. Each of these two pebbles will radiate these circles in the same way. But as you can see in this double slit experiment, as the impact of the energy coming through each slit interferes with the other, there will be places where the waves add together and get bigger, and other places where they're completely out of phase or the peak of one wave from the first pebble corresponds with the deepest trough of the second wave, or the wave of the second pebble, in such a way that they cancel each other out. And you get no light at all. That's these black bars on the screen. And then the white fades into the black, you see. It's not a, just a 
a clear line that delineates the black from the white. It's it it's it's a fading. It's a phase. It's relative. Okay, because of the interference and the way these lines interfere with each other, these ripples or these waves of energy. So he just shone a light, shined a light, shone a light, <laughs> I'm not sure. He shined a light through the double slits. And as expected, he got this interference pattern on the back screen, which we've rotated 90 degrees. And so the screen that it bounced off of is displayed uh, slightly rotated to the right so you can see what that would look like. That's called an interference pattern, and that's what you would have expected to see. Let's continue with the copy here. However, when advances in technology allowed subsequent researchers to repeat the experiment with small particles, not light now, but particles, individual electrons fired one at a time toward the two slits, the same interference patterns were reflected. Somehow, the tiny particles of matter were acting like waves of energy. Impossibly, each individual electron was simultaneously passing through both slits to interfere with itself, and yet the full mystery is even stranger. When sensitive particle detectors... Now remember, this is... Contemporary, so instead of shining a flashlight or a floodlight through the two slits, they're sending single photons or single electrons, like little bullets, little particles, one at a time, at this double slit. From a distance, so there's going to be some variability. You would expect many particles would bounce off and not go through the slits, some particles would go through the upper slit. Some would go through the lower slit. But wouldn't you expect to see, like the second graphic here, that instead of an interference pattern, if we used particles instead of light energy as waves, that we would just get two bars on the back wall. If the particle went through the top slit, you would see it cluster as a single bar on the top. And if the particle happened to go through the bottom slit, so too you would get a, a single bar on the back wall. That's certainly what you would expect if you used particles of matter like individual electrons or, again, photons, the little packets of light. And we do have that ability to shoot the holy shoot like a Gatling gun to shoot one bullet at a time, one particle at a time. This is what you would expect. So when sensitive particle detectors, now here here's the rub. <laughs> when sensitive particle detectors, machines were set up to determine which of the two slits the electrons were actually moving through, damn, the electrons as you would expect, behaved like particles mirroring the two slits on the rear screen. Yet the moment power to the particle detectors was switched off, the electrons again exhibited the interference pattern of waveforms. 
the particles, when you turn off the machine that's watching them to see which slit they go through, when you turn that machine off, they stop acting like particles and begin to act like energy, creating that interference pattern from the first graphic. As if each particle was aware of whether it was being watched. And this is termed in quantum physics the observer effect. And quantum physicists are still struggling to comprehend the consequences of mutual awareness as the inseparable connection between the observer and the observed. In other words, <laughs> the primary implication of this experiment that's been repeated again and again and again initially just shining light from a floodlight, a spotlight, a lamp. <laughs> that could be a, a fire or a, a, a mirror reflecting light. Doesn't matter. Through those two slits, we get that interference pattern. And, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Just like waves, just like waves of water would do. Right? These two separate pebbles dropped in a pool interfering with each other. But when we shoot one particle at a time, we only get that interference pattern. It only acts like energy when it's not being observed. If it is being observed by a machine or a human being somehow, if we're watching, that energy will behave like particles and you only get the two bars like the second graphic. And the question is, how does the particle know? How does it know? As I said before, this brings up images, in, in my mind anyway, of the Matrix. We talked a few weeks ago about uh, the holodeck in Star Trek. This whole reality that they could conjure up in this big room you go into. And you can have any reality you want. You can time travel. you got a machine that is creating a hologram that you exist in, well, who's to say we're not in a hologram? You see? And you say, well, wait a minute. I understand what you're saying about vision, seeing only reflected light, and that the map is not the territory, and the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon, and these uh, Cohen's and uh, enigmatic puzzles in philosophy about such things and the hearing and the smelling and the touching. I, I get all of that except the touching part. If I could touch the moon, I would know that it's real. Well, I'm not saying it's not real. You know, in the newsletter this week, I quoted Einstein. That's why I did the particular meditation that I did about the moon. I quoted Einstein as saying, and I'm sure he said it with a kind of a chuckle, uh, I prefer to believe the moon is actually there, not merely when I look at it. And so Einstein's struggling with this. Imagine. The guy that put the equal sign between energy and matter is blown away by what quantum physics is revealing, as if almost as if there's a second set of laws of physics at this subatomic level. The 
The laws of physics that we know from school, like Newton's laws of motion or uh, thermodynamics or electromagnetism, that these various laws of physics get thrown into a cocked hat when you look down at a quantum level and experience repeatedly this observer effect, where the mere fact that you're observing the experiment biases the results of the experiment in countless ways. It's called observer bias. And you can see this play, played out in current events. Some joker, as I'm sure you've heard in the news a couple of days ago, broke into Nancy Pelosi and her husband's uh, home, their, their San Francisco home. And this idiot that broke in through the back window is uh, yelling, where's Nancy? And ends up beating this 82-year-old man over the head with a, a hammer. Well, the left is outraged. Most Americans see this as uh, an inevitable consequence of the political rhetoric around stolen elections and you can't trust the vote and Democrats eat babies and uh, Tom Hanks uh, rules the world with uh, uh, satanic rituals and all. People that believe this stuff and, and on the right promote this stuff are absolutely responsible, especially as we look at the webpage and the social media, the guy that did the attack. He was totally QAnon all the way. But what does the right say about that? They say, well, this is the consequence of high crime. And, um, you know, the Democrats run the big cities, so they're responsible for the crime, and crime is up now. That wouldn't have anything to do with overall poverty and income disparity and billionaires plundering the economy. No, no, no. It's just crime is up because the Democrats are in charge. And this should be a warning call to all you liberals uh, that uh, your policies are leading to more crime. Completely separate worldview of a single incident, don't you see? You say, oh, well, that's just rationalization. That's just that's just the result of the, uh, uh, each side defending its position. No, these are the worldviews, the absolute realities that are a function of our awareness. What are you aware of? What are you paying attention to? That's observer bias. So it exists on all levels, but on the quantum level, on the subatomic level. <laughs> down here with these single electrons and protons and neutrons that you and I know very little about. We just have been told in science class that you break it all down, you get these molecules, you break the molecules down, you get atoms, and the atom has a nucleus with a proton and a neutron and an electron in the shell spinning around it. And hydrogen has one of each and helium has two of each, and the number of electrons and protons determines whether it's a gas or a solid or a metal or, you know, the hundred and whatever it is now, 112 or 15 elements in the periodic table. What makes gold different from silver, from lead, is the number of electrons or protons in the molecule. But now what we're saying is we've got evidence 
that it's only solid when you look at it. So you look at the moon, the moon is solid. You land a rocket on it, it's solid. You walk around on it, it's solid. But when you turn away from it, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't exist. It begins to behave in measurable ways like an organized energy field. It's just a field of energy. And that whether you observe it or not, whether you look at it or not, determines whether it exists as a physical form and what type of physical form. Is it a good moon or a bad moon? <laughs> Wasn't it Credence that did bad moon rising? What made it a bad moon? When I was in college, somebody said to me, I was talking about the Rolling Stones and how much I like the Stones. And the guy said, yeah, they're bad. And I said, no, they're actually quite good. He said, that's what I mean, they're bad. <laughs> My first encounter with bad means good in the 60s. Bad is good. No wonder we can't get along. We're not looking at the same movie. That's my point. Everybody is watching a different movie and suffering the delusion that we're seeing the same thing, feeling the same feelings, thinking consequently the same thoughts, arriving at the same conclusions. And if yours is different than mine, I know I'm right. If yours is different, then you must be wrong. And that goes all the way to war. Now I'm going to get in an airplane with a bunch of guys in uniforms, fly halfway around the world to shoot and drop bombs on people I've never met because you have a different view of economics or government or who controls resources or whatever. The insanity of it all. I'm sorry. It's just mind-boggling to me. It always has been. Wait a minute. You want me to shoot at people I've never even met? Why? Why? And on their side of things, what, what do you think these Russian kids are being told when they're sent into Ukraine? What were Americans told when they went to Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Kuwait, Granada, for God's sakes? We invaded Granada. That was heroic. Nicaragua, El Salvador, it goes on and on and on. Let's go shoot some people we've never met. That's not a function of a high level of consciousness. It, we will evolve beyond it, but it's going to take some time. There's a big industry. To, I mean, the, the whole the, what it's really about is money. It's enormously profitable to blow things up and rebuild them and blow them up. And if you look carefully, you'll see the same corporation that builds the weapon is also rebuilding. They're the construction people. Same company that blew it up is going to rebuild it. They profit from the weapon sale. They profit from rebuilding. And we get to 2022 and haven't figured that out yet. We should encourage people to disagree, just not be violent about it. And stop believing that there's only one right reality. And begin with the people that are closest to you. Partners, husbands, and wives. Why would you expect them? Why would you need them to agree with you? I guess this is what conservatives want. 
Why would you want everybody to agree on everything? And we all listen to one kind of music and we all dance exactly the same way. And we all eat exactly the same food for the same reasons and our priorities are all the... Why in the world would you want that? It's like going to Denny's for dinner every night. I mean, wouldn't you want some Chinese food and some Mexican food and a little variety in your life? How about some Italian tonight, you know? I'm in the mood for some Italian food. Viva la difference! We are enriched by the distinctions as we become aware that that's what we're looking for. And that's what we do. And that indeed is who we are. A unique, what can we say? A unique perspective or view of a dynamic, ever-changing reality. And that the reality itself is a function of the way we see it, of our beliefs and our expectations. Even the moon means different things to different people. I would say there are many, many people, I couldn't guess at the number, that never look at the moon. They, they couldn't tell you the last time they even saw the moon or even looked into the sky. When was the last time? Again, we did it all. We, we all did it as kids. Laid on the grass, well, maybe you put a blanket down, but you know what I'm saying or in the lawn chair and you lay back and you look at the sky and you feel your spirit soaring. Feel yourself expanding as if jutting out into this boundless space. And you wonder at what's out there. <laughs>